Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I am the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and a proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place April 12th through 14th at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And get your tickets today at our special early bird rate. While you're at CanMedEvents.com, please be sure to sign up for email alerts to stay up to date with all the news surrounding this industry-leading event. And the best place to do that is on our podcast page, which you can find in the main menu under the media tab. Or you can go there directly by going to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk. There is a sign up form on that page. And if you complete it, you will be entered into a drawing to win two CanMed 2021 VIP dinner tickets. While you're on that page, you can also listen to all 13 CanMed Coffee Talk podcast episodes in our archive. Our 14th guest on the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast is Jordan Zager co-founder and CEO of Dewey Scientific. Jordan is an expert in cannabis genetics and natural product biosynthesis, having authored multiple research papers in the fields of trichome development and metabolism, mathematical modeling of biochemical pathways, and functional genomics. Jordan's CanMed 2021 presentation will explore the biochemical processes the cannabis plant uses to create cannabinoids and how each cultivar's unique genetics plays a role. Topics we hit on the conversation include the problems cannabis and hemp growers are trying to solve via genetics, how lighting and temperature influences gene expression in cannabis plants and the cannabinoids and terpenes they produce, the potential for minor cannabinoids to become more dominant in future cultivars, and just how far behind cannabis genomics research is when compared to other crops. Before we get to that conversation, I do want to thank this episode's sponsor, The Scientist Magazine. The Scientist is a seriously refreshing source of life science research news and a forum for in-depth exploration of issues important to both scientists and the science-curious public. We tell life science stories that researchers and science enthusiasts want while delivering indispensable information on discovery, policy, publishing, careers, ethics, and more. Visit the-scientist.com to learn more. And finally, I want to thank the Hemp and Coffee Exchange for providing the hemp-infused caffeine boost that keeps this podcast going. If you don't know, Hemp Coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients, providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, as promised, here's my conversation with Jordan Zager of Dewey Scientific.
Hey, Jordan. Thanks for joining us here on the on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And we're we're really excited to have you this year at CanMed 2020. Now, is this going to be the first CanMed that you attended? This will be my first CanMed. That's right. Um, you know, I hadn't even heard about it until you know last year. I was at a conference um, where, where Kevin gave a talk. Kevin McKiernan, your your CSO. Um, and it was promoting it pretty hard. I looked into it, and yeah, it definitely looked like a conference that uh, I'd be interested in going to in the future. And what do I know? You guys uh, asked me to present, so I'm, I'm very pleased to, to join CanMed this year. Yeah, we're excited, um, especially since your your focus is very similar to ours. So you're very much investigating the, the genomics and the genetics of the cannabis plant. And um, why I'm really excited to talk to you is because you're actually applying that genomic information and actually applying it to the plant. You know, us here at Medicinal Genomics, um, we're, we're sequencing the plant, finding all sorts of interesting markers and interesting insights into the plant, but we don't, we don't grow here. So we don't really get to apply it. So I'm always interested to talk to folks who are actually working with the plants. So um, I don't know if you want to give a little insight into what you guys are doing there at Dewey Scientific. Yeah, so at Dewey Scientific, um, first and foremost, we are a, a biotechnology company focused on uh, bettering the cannabis industry, um, and we're doing that through a couple of, of ways. The first is through our um, scientific service offerings. So uh, what we do there is we sort of offer cultivators um, or, or other breeders um, a science team. You know, if you look at some of the bigger companies, they're starting to swallow up um scientists, but not every cannabis company can afford to do that. So we sort of uh, offer, you know, we have a, a traveling team of scientists that will, will uh, come to you and um, collect the data we need and then do all the data analysis here and sort of make sense of, you know, the overwhelming amount of data that, that genomics can provide. Um, and the second aspect of what we're doing is we have uh, an in-house breeding program with um, with one of our very close partners, actually. So Dewey Scientific, um, we don't grow the plants ourselves. We just have very close partners that do. Um, <clears throat> and, and for them, you know, we have a quantitative uh, geneticist part of our team, actually our co-founder and uh, VP of research, Paul Mihalov. Um, he, he's our breeder um, and he, you know, can really make sense of, you know, a VCF file. While not everybody really necessarily know what that means, um, it's, it's, you know, the, the variants that are present in a genome. So he, he's, has a lot of experience with using that kind of data and applying it to breeding, uh, for specific traits. Excellent. So when a client engages with your team, what are they really looking to accomplish or do they even know? Um, yeah, I, I think for the most part, they, they do know what they're looking for accomplish, uh, to accomplish. They just don't necessarily how to get there. Um, so for example, we, we've worked with some, some cultivators in the hemp space. Um, and last year we, we helped them, uh, identify when they should be harvesting. Um, you know, if, if you wait too long, all of a sudden your compliant hemp crop is no longer compliant. Um, and you have to destroy your summer's worth of labor, um, and, and, you know, that unfortunately that, that was the reality last year for many growers. So, um, just knowing, knowing the plants are growing at a better level, uh, can really make the difference for farmers. And that's, that's what we've been helping people do. Yeah. And that's an interesting point you make because there were, there were tons of articles that came out the end of last year with a lot of hemp farmers who suddenly discovered that what they were growing wasn't technically hemp because it was, it was testing hot for THC. Um, 
So do you offer some services to, to hemp cultivators who are maybe just starting it to get into this to make sure that what they're actually planting is going to be what they expect it to be at the end? Yeah, that's, that's um, an area that we, we're looking to get in um, this year. Uh, we, we're working with a couple partners out in the Yakima Valley area of Washington State, um, helping them choose the genetics that they will be growing this year. Um, and, you know, more than anything, uh, it's, it's just sort of doing the legwork uh, and doing the background check on where the seed's coming from or where the clone's coming from. Is this a fly-by-night clone provider like we saw so many last year? Um, or do these guys have legitimate COAs uh, backing up what they're claiming to have uh, being sold? Yeah, and unfortunately, that seems to be such a such a trend in the cannabis industry is these fly-by-nights uh, companies, not just clone providers or seed providers, but, I mean, we see it in our end, too. Um, so it's it's nice to see folks like you out there kind of helping to, to weed that out, for lack of a better term. Um, so that's great. So, yeah, I, and I guess a segue to that is, I mean, there are other companies out there that are sort of offering similar services um, to what you guys are. So kind of what sets you apart? So yeah, we, we like to take a slightly different approach than most folks. Um, we, we actually take an RNA-based approach towards genomics. Hmm. Um, we, we prefer this approach um, because you can answer many questions with a single data set. Um, you know, because this plant has so many, uh, there's so much genetic diversity in what's out there right now, relying on a single reference genome um, can be a little problematic. So we, we prefer to take a de novo transcriptome approach. Um, and so when we take that, you know, we can still get all the necessary structural genome, genomic structural information we need. Um, we can identify SNPs across the, the expressed genome, if you will, which is the transcriptome. Um, and then we can look at, you know, we not only gain insight into which genes are present, but we, we gain insight into um, how hard those genes are turned on or turned off. Um, and this is a particularly important uh, when it comes to cannabinoid or terpenoid biosynthesis. Um, <clears throat> so it just gives you a, a comprehensive view of, of what's going on in your growing plants. Interesting. And that kind of brings me to one of the things I wanted to bring up to you is this whole idea of nature versus nurture. Um, you know, you can have all this gen genetic potential in a cultivar, but, you know, what environment you put it in is going to, you know, determine what actually gets expressed. So now you taking an RNA-based approach, does that sort of help sort of weed that out as far as um, what's actually being expressed and what phenotype you're actually going to see? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's uh, one, one area of emphasis we're looking to expand on is um, how are the varieties that you purchased or the varieties that you uh, bred, how are they actually performing in your... Um, grow area, whether, you know, you're a hemp farmer on 50 acres or you're a, a adult use, uh, cannabis producer in a warehouse. Um, you know, we can sort of look at, at the genetic performance of your variety in action. That's excellent. And now do you have any, any sort of data on that? Are certain grow mediums or certain light sources able to, um, well, I guess lack of a better term, express genes more than others? Yeah, I wouldn't say we've seen much difference with grow mediums, um, nor is that really something that we've uh, really monitored. Um, but 
lighting has a huge influence. Um, temperature has a, has a huge influence. So, you know, if we're talking about uh, cannabinoid synthesis, it's really important um, to know the, the temperature and the light influence um, on that the plants are receiving. You know, a, a change in temperature or pH can change the function of a, of a cannabinoid synthase. Um, and when it comes to terpenoid synthases, these are, are uh, genes that are highly regulated by light, um, you know, and, and the type of light that they get. So, you know, you could, you could have one variety growing in, a, a, say, a grow room, uh, all with high-pressure sodium bulbs, and you move that over to a grow room that has LEDs. Well, you're changing the light influence, and you're more likely than not changing the terpene profile and sort of changing the, the chemotype of that plant. Um, so it just can lead to inconsistencies in what uh, farmers think they're growing and what they think they're going to end up producing. Now, is that strain-specific? Are, are certain strains more sensitive to that than others? Um, not that we've seen. Um, just terpene expression um, in, in all plants um, is, is just very sensitive to, to light. Um, uh, especially the expression of those genes. So what's the preferred light source? Um, you know, we haven't done quite enough work yet to determine that. Um, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's more of looking at, at the, the germplasm collection you have and, and seeing how it's performing in your, your grow setup and whether it's, it's hemp or adult use. Okay. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, cannabis being so genetically diverse. And I always wonder, you know, do we fully understand the full genetic potential of cannabis? Like through efforts like yours and continued breeding, could we end up kind of seeing cultivars that are radically different than what's out there now? I absolutely think we, we can see varieties in, in cultivars um, arise that aren't out there right now. Um, you know, because the majority of this crop was was grown in backyards and basements and deep in the woods um, for so long, um, you know, we're just a ways off uh, compared to other other crops. Um, and so to, to you know, fully understand the genetic potential, I think, um, you know, a concerted effort needs to be made into well, stabilizing these genetics because, you know, when, when you uh, are, well, sort of what we did, uh, we do it scientific, but we, the, the cannabis community as a whole, is we, we sort of drove evolution in certain directions mm. based on what uh, certain people were selecting for in various regions of the, the country. Um, right. And so have you done any research or analysis into sort of land race type strains to see, um, you know, without the, the breeder's hand, sort of what cannabis can become? Yeah, so we, we've sort of um, we, we've looked at a couple of land race varieties. One of which was featured in our uh, our, our plant physiology publication last year. Um, it was a variety called Mama Thai. Uh, reportedly, this was a variety that came straight from Thailand. Um, it was grown in a light deprivation hoop house. Uh, most of the plants in there were about five feet tall, uh, but this this Mama Thai was about eight feet tall. Um, and then when we looked at the, the chemo print or the, the chemotype of the plant, the metabolic fingerprint, um, you know, it, it did vary quite a bit from the other varieties. It was a lot more heavy, uh, on sesquiterpenes. What the implications are that are, um, I'm not really sure yet. 
but it was notably different from the things that had been, um, you know, grown or, or bred for uh, over here in the U.S. Interesting. And now we all, I mean, we all know that, you know, THC and CBD are sort of the dominant cannabinoids that we see in the, in the cultivars that are out there now. Could, and that the other cannabinoids are very much present at, at small kind of trace levels. But is there an opportunity to kind of flip that script and, and kind of see these minor cannabinoids take a, a bigger percentage? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I think one area of interest right now are the variants. Um, you know, so they, they just have a different fatty acid precursor towards cannabinoid biosynthesis, um, you know, THCV and CBDV. Um, you know, I don't think that was really on anyone's radar in, in you know, much, much past the last five years. Um, so I think as, as breeders start to, to go down that route, I mean, these are, these are stemming from, um, you know, they're not cannabinoid synthases that are responsible for this difference. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's upstream in the, you know, areas of fatty acid biosynthesis. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see, but I do think, you know, some of the mi more minor cannabinoids are going to uh, rise in, in prevalence in the coming years. Right. Um, any predictions as far as what's the, what's going to be the new hot cannabinoid? Oh man, I don't know. I think um, in terms of new, I think uh, folks need to be careful with uh, what is being described as new or um, or where it's found or if it's even actually produced by the plant and not uh, an artifact of sample prep um, or um, just a, a faulty HPLC run or something like that. Um, I don't want to make any predictions on what the markets are going to prefer in the future. Uh, but I do think that as, as we learn more about the different cannabinoids um, and maybe start to tie those in with some, some clinical studies uh, about the pharmacokinetics uh, of, of these cannabinoids, um, I think that's ultimately what's going to drive what's hot is what, what's coming out of the medical research. Yeah, and I guess to bring that all back to, to what we're doing here at CanMed, I think that's a a great reason why folks like yourself and cultivators and uh, and others in the industry um, could really get a lot out of out of coming to the conference is that we're we're going to have a lot of the the latest research into applying cannabinoids for different medical conditions. So if there is some breaking research um, on a new minor cannabinoid, you'll be the first to know about it. So it's a, it's a good thing you decided to join us this year. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did. Um, and so I wanted to go back to, you said that, you know, the cannabis plant is so far behind other plants in terms of understanding the genomics. I mean, if you were to make an analogy, how, how far behind are we really? You know, if, if, you know, let's make a comparison to American legacy crops like soy or corn or wheat. Um, you know, they've, they've been playing with, um, you know, the, the, the genomics of these, these crops have been known for, let's say, 30 years um, prior to um, when cannabis actually started to get some, some you know, molecular type of work done on it. Um, you know, the genomes of the, these plants obviously haven't weren't sequenced 30 years ago, but they were sequenced you know, closer to 20 years ago, whereas the first cannabis variety uh, was sequenced uh, about nine years ago, um, with a lot more coming up in the last few years. Um, 
but with all of those crops, they've been genetically stabilized. You know, you, uh, a farmer goes and buys pounds of, of wheat seed. Well, they expect that field to grow uniformly. There's not going to be differences in, in height or, uh, you know, club length um, within their batch of seeds. Whereas, you know, with cannabis, we just aren't quite there uh, with the gene genetic stabilization. So it just makes it harder to understand uh, the genomics of cannabis because of the, the diversity and the lack of stabilization that's occurred. Well, that's interesting. And so is the fact that cannabis is so diverse just because there hasn't been such a, a stabilization effort or is it something that's, that's unique to the plant? Um, I don't think it's something that's unique to the plant. Um, but I do think that, um, well, I think one reason that that stabilization has not really occurred is that the plant suffers from inbreeding depression, um, which is you know, a very real threat towards, you know, making a stabilized variety. Um, but it's, it's been overcome in the past with other, uh, deployed, deployed crops. Um, but <clears throat> Inbreeding depression. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that term. So that's play? that's yeah. So it's it's if you uh, you know inbreed within a family, um, it, it's most popularly seen or, or known. I should say it's not really seen anymore uh, with humans. You know, um, lineages of royal families from Europe. You know, there was evidence of well, um, cousins were marrying cousins, uncles were marrying their nieces, things like that. Um, led to genetic disorders and genetic effects in the, their progeny or their, their children. Um, and you see the same thing with cannabis. And it takes a couple of generations. But, you know, once you're at the, the point of, you know, four or five generations of inbreeding, the plant starts to display um, problems in growth um, and development. So to overcome that in cannabis, I mean, it's, it's really a numbers game. Not every single inbred plant is going to have these, these issues. Um, so it's a matter of, of doing it enough within the same family to identify those that are not, uh, suffering from inbreeding depression. Wow. That's interesting. So one of my questions I was going to ask you is, uh, I guess to start, I mean, a, a lot of commercial cannabis cultivation now is done through cloning, clonal propagation. Do you ever expect we'll get to a place where we could, um, have stable enough seeds that, um, that seed propagation would become the norm. It sounds yeah, like that would be a challenge with this inbreeding depression, no? Um, you know, I think we're starting to see it uh, on the hemp side of things. Um, a lot more producers are going from seed than from clone. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely think we'll get to a point where commercial cannabis are growing from seed. You know, if you're growing from, from clone, ultimately it comes down to the bottom line. But, you know, it's, it's uh, my point of view that um, seed is a much more automatable process than, than clones, you know? Um, sure. and so there are a lot of hurdles that need to be cleared. Um, but you know, I think it's all about genetic stabilization and ensuring that your crop will grow with uniformity and, and you can rely on, um, your expected results uh, of that crop. You know, that, that these plants are going to grow in uniform. They're all going to have very similar, uh, chemotype profiles and that they, they're all going to have relatively similar yield numbers. And they're all going to be female for the most part too, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that was, you know, a big topic in 2019 when people were buying what they thought were feminized seeds. turns out they weren't, um, their, their crops got pollinated and, you know, you see a 
tenfold reduction in cannabinoid production. Um, and, you know, I think this year, those uh, farmers who, who learned a lesson last year, they're absolutely going to look specifically for feminized seeds from a reputable source. Um, you know, I, th- I think the adult use industry um, will get there, but because of the, the fragmentation we've seen from state to state, um, clones are, are going to remain prevalent for the time being. All right. So, so we talked about what cannabinoids that um, breeders and growers might be interested in, in selecting for, but are there other genetic markers that you think could make a, a huge impact on cannabis cultivation? Yeah, I think you know if if we we go back to cannabinoids really quickly, it's um, you know a lot of these cannabinoid synthases are leaky. Um, so if we can better characterize those and develop markers um, around the, those regions of the gene that may lead to a leaky synthase versus a non-leaky synthase, I think that will go a long way. Uh, but outside of cannabinoids, you know, I, I do believe the, the metabolic pathways um, that are responsible for other bioactive compounds that cannabis produces, like the terpenes, like the flavonoids, um, you know, if we can... Uh, design genetic markers based on on the production of, of those compounds. You know that will ultimately initially help the the medical field. Um, so so breeders can uh, produce varieties that are more predictable in their their overall chemotype, not just cannabinoids, but in these other bioactive uh, compounds that might <clears throat> might be playing a role in the uh, the me- medical properties, medicinal properties of of cannabis. Excellent. And this will probably be a great segue into the topic that you're going to be presenting on at CanMed, which is gene networks underlying cannabinoid and terpenoid accumulation in cannabis. Um, so I was wondering, can you give us a little a little preview of what the folks can expect? Yeah. Yeah. So this, this uh, my talk is, is largely based around um, a paper that we had published in um, May of, of 2019 um, with the same title as the talk. Uh, but basically, um, it, you know, it comes down to that, that chemical profiling is currently employed and is a, is a, a fairly powerful tool in differentiating one strain from the next. Um, but, you know, if you add genotyping information, uh, whether that be, um, you know, a, a static genetic level or at a transcriptome level, um, it's just going to increase the resolution of, of differentiating one strain from the next. And then that ultimately helps. Um, you know, clinical researchers, if, if, uh, with their work, you know, is it a certain compound that is, uh, you know, leading to an effect? Is it, is it five compounds? Is it, uh, dozens of compounds that are, are leading to an effect? Um, and really, you know, with the, with this, with this research, um, we, we took an approach that's been used, um, in many, uh, number of crops, you know, including alfalfa, corn, and wheat. Um, and it's been, been successful. Um, <clears throat> but really, you know, it just sort of puts everything into a functional context. You know, what, what, what are the functions that are active in the, the plant as it's, uh, as it's growing and ultimately before it's harvested? Excellent. No, and one of the things you mentioned there that, that reminded me was when you were talking about sort of the, the different combination of cannabinoids could be used for a specific treatment. Um, David Meary spoke at last year's CanMed, and he was talking about the research that he's doing in his lab in Israel, which is just fascinating. And they were, they were finding that um, it was a combination of three cannabinoids that they were using to, to treat this specific type of cancer 
Um, and it was when those three were present that they would see the effect. If you took away any one of them, or I believe, if I remember correctly, even added an additional one, it did not work. So it's pretty fascinating, this whole idea of the entourage effect, how that actually is, is being applied. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think us on the, on the plant side of things, um, we just need to be uh, more responsible with with uh, what we're putting out there, and um, just so you know, users can have a better idea of what they're they're consuming, um, and ultimate, and you know, beyond that, what what researchers are actually testing um, for you know whether it's cancer or Alzheimer's or epilepsy, um, these types of, of uh, clinical trials can only benefit from uh, a more precise understanding of what that plant is capable of and what it is actively producing. Excellent. And now you mentioned that you had published a paper on the on that same topic, the one you're going to be discussing at CAMED. Where, where can folks find that? Yeah, so that's that's available um, at plantphysiology.org. Um, it is an open source paper, so you don't have to worry about a, uh, a pay-to-read firewall that is common in academic papers. Um, but yeah, it's available at plantphysiology.org. Excellent, excellent. Um, and then you want to tell the folks where they can find out more about Dewey Scientific and yeah, more about uh, you? Absolutely. If you're uh, interested in Dewey Scientific, deweyscientific.com, um, deweysci.com will get you there as well. Um, we are active on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Um, and yeah, we're always, always happy to answer questions and, and help uh, cultivators uh, know more about their grow and ultimately improve uh, the economics of their facilities. All right, excellent. Well, thank you, Jordan, again, for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, we'll be in touch and we will definitely see you out in Pasadena. All right, thanks, Ben. I appreciate the time and uh, have a good day. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jordan Zager. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And please also check out our sponsors, The Scientist Magazine and The Hemp Coffee Exchange. Our next episode will drop October 14th. In the meantime, please go to canmenevents.com slash coffee talk and sign up for email updates. That will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2021 VIP dinner and keep you up to date on all things CanMed 2021. Give us a follow on social media too. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, if you're listening via a podcast app, you can subscribe to our feed so that new episodes automatically download to your device. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.